0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ghastly Podcast with me, Nick and Joanna. This week we are starting a whole new series of episodes which are all based on dance in horror films and we thought what better film to begin this series than Suspiria 1977 by Dario Argento.
1: So this is the original version of Suspiria which as Mm -hmm. we all know got a remake a couple of years ago and we're actually going to be focusing on the remake next episode. Mm -hmm. But for now we're going to start with the classic and of course the plot of Suspiria is Largely the same in both films, with a few differences. The plot of the 1977 film follows um, an American ballet student called Susie Banyan, who's played by Jessica Harper, And when she arrives in the beautiful German town of Freiburg in Preisgau. I'm so sorry to any German-speaking listeners who that might have offended, that terrible pronunciation. I don't good. speak German, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, so she's a ballerina and she's just won a scholarship at a dance academy or a dance academy. Sorry, I really will stop doing that now. (laughs) And while she and on her first night there, it's absolutely pouring it down with rain and she sees another student running away from the school. Now, we leave Susie for a bit and we see this student who is called Patricia or Pat for short something we're not entirely sure what's going on with pat but there's something wrong with the school and her friend is like oh mm. pat it's fine don't worry about it but yeah stay stay here for now you'll be all right she is not at all right and neither <laughs> is her friend they are both murdered very very brutally In very so this is something you have to get used to with suspiria and our gentle films in general i think they are very gory and i think the technical are really would you say
0: it's a typical jello film <laughs> in that respect um, it
1: depends how you define Jallo which is something that I'll get onto earlier but it's definitely not unique no okay so um Pat and her friend are brutally murdered in the apartment and then we return to Susie's life at school which all seems very nice and reasonably normal she meets the <laughs> teachers and she meets um, some of her fellow classmates so she ends up in a room with Olga for example and she meets her new best friend Sarah and yeah you kind of have it's all very similar to the remake at this point um, Susie She goes to dance classes, she feels a bit out of it, Um, she ends up living um, with Sarah. And then this is the first thing that doesn't happen in the remake, the iconic maggots scene, when maggots (laughs) literally start raining from the ceiling. It's amazing. And everyone has to sleep in kind of like the school gymnasium, the school hall. Mm. And while they're there, that's when Sarah and Susie start to notice strange things going on. Like there are shadows around the room and the voices of people who, shouldn't be there like the headmistress of the school they realized that she's there and the blind pianist um, who accompanies their dance performances is also murdered and mm. then sarah later tells susie that she knows kind of what happens to pat and that she's heard, found all of these notes that pat had written except suddenly the notes are gone so after sarah they know what sarah's up to and it's like this on chase sequence through to school it's actually very very t- i love this sequence, the sequence of it where sarah's being chased and she has to like you know climb across mm. all like the boxes and then she like falls into the barbed wire yeah it's amazing just a
0: mysterious room filled full of barbed wire just to get yeah. you at the last moment
1: I know it's so because even though you know you know exactly what's going to happen, you know she's going to get killed. It's still our gentle managers make it seem feel like the whole scene that like maybe just maybe
0: I really thought she was going to get time. away at one point, point. and then
1: you get to the barbed wire and you're like, oh no, oh, there's no yeah, way there the we go. Yeah, so Sarah unfortunately dies at the end of the chase, and so mm. Susie is left alone to investigate what happened to Sarah and Pat, and so mm. she gets into contact with a psychiatrist that Sarah had recommended to her called Dr. Mandel. And he explains to her the story of Helena Marcos... Who is kind of the grand witch because allegedly the school is of course a coven of witches and they are the teachers of the school and so susie returns to the school everybody's left and so it's just her and f- kind of fighting against these malevolent forces mm. and she manages to um kind of turn one of the flowers on the walls um on the daughter madame blanc's office to kind of go through a hidden passage and then she finds all of the coven of Witches talking about her mm. and so she manages to hide and then she manages to defeat them because she finds Helena Marcos who obviously also like the remake is kind of at this point a very very old um, woman who is basically only being kept alive by the life force of the students mm. and so um sarah's corpse get kind of like reanimated to try and kill susie mm. but susie manages to stab helena marcos um in the neck with some broken glass mm. and then sarah is allowed to rest in peace the school just starts crumbling And presumably crushes all of the couple of witches to death. And Susie escapes into the rain.
0: Yeah. She seems very happy at the end as well. And to be fair, you know, you'd be so relieved to get out of that.
1: It's like the precursor of the good for her films.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Good for Susie.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Good for Susie. I really enjoyed this one because over time it's always been hailed as this visual feast. Mm. It's also got this wonderful atmosphere. And the Goblin score really helps to sort of draw that out.
1: Mm, oh my God, the score is so good.
0: It is so iconic. You have these whispers of witch. and, and <laughs> my, Like kind little of-
1: snarls and cackles in the background mm, mm. reminds you like these kind of like goblin or troll like creatures
0: and for that first like, whole sequence when Susie steps out of the airport and then immediately yeah. she kind of emerges from these sort of guillotine like mm. automatic doors into this a world that feels markedly different
1: it does in the airport everything is kind of the colour scheme is still reasonably like bland mm. like you know kind of like just like whites and greys and in mm. the moment she steps out like oh you know how pretty it is, even in real life when it's raining and you're walking past loads of um clubs and shops mm. and all their lights make these gorgeous rainbow patterns in like the reflections of the rain on the pavement
0: it, it signposts that something different's going on something magical yeah effort. immediately
1: takes us into the realm of the fantastic mm. sad but well, it's not sad about the film but um outside of the film one of the sad realizations is that obviously as you say it's such a visual feast it's so gorgeous to look at and it's so much fun actually just to watch mm. and then the reality is that, and you're like god why don't why don't we do films with these kind of color palettes anymore and it's because they literally stopped making roles of like the technical prints that Suspiria was filmed on like this is one of the last films oh. ever so they literally stopped producing it so you can't anymore
0: no i guess you could like you know digitally you could try and approximate the effect but it will never be the same yeah i know wow that makes it all the more special, I suppose, as a film then, doesn't it?
1: It does. We're lucky that Argento managed to get to the factory in time. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's his hands on that last roll. But yeah, so it's the same technique as, like, um The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind. Especially The Wizard of Oz, you know, where it's kind of, like, very bright... Almost like psychedelic
0: colouring, and the way it slips from kind of sepia palette to to real Technicolor overload.
1: Yeah, I think it's very deliberately part of that same tradition mm. of the magical and the whimsical being associated with the super bright.
0: That also has roots in German Expressionism as well, doesn't it? Mm. And taking a character, for example, in this case, Susie's. Inner psyche and then projecting it onto her environment. Yeah, uh, using color and and space as well. So I think in the mm. in the actual building, the dance academy building, there was a huge amount of consideration put into how to make the space feel alien and and fantastical Mm. they at one point they were considering having it as a children's school weren't they but then they made Mm. it um they made the the dance academy students older because it was considered it was going to be a bit too disturbing yeah but one of the um one of the sort of vestigial aspects of of that um approach was the 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 door handles being placed higher up on the doors to to make the dance (laughs) students seem more like children moving about this space that they can't really comprehend that's kind of turning in on itself and... All that good stuff. I
1: feel like there's a lot of um, use of kind of simultaneously very open and large spaces and very like kind of cramped claustrophobic. Mm. So for example, the bit where they're all sleeping in the gym, that's very open. Like I think also in, you know, Pat's friend's apartment, when um, she's kind of at the top of the stairs Mm. and that's when the killer gets, that also looks like really open. Mm. And it kind of also emphasises, I guess, just how... Kind of solitary she is within this big space. But then there's also these very claustrophobic spaces it immediately switches to. Like, for example, as we were saying, the bit where Sarah just falls into the barbed wire yeah. after having traversed all those boxes, etc. Mm.
0: Spaces that you can see and then spaces that are hidden as well. So, of course, mm. when Susie realises that, oh, you know, at the beginning of the film when Pat was running away, she overheard her saying some kind of muffled instruction um mm. and then she realized oh one of the irises on the walls can you can use it as a handle to open up this sort of strange inner sanctum where all the witches congregate and helena marcos lives
1: so it's had this secret kind of inner sanctum that can't be shown to anyone
0: yeah the only way that susie actually became aware of the, in the first place about this secret building so maybe the true architecture of the building itself aside from how it appears visually and how the the witches want the students to treat the space the only way that she's Mm -hmm. actually able to access that space in the first place is through counting steps and hearing that the teachers who are all meant to be leaving every evening actually ended up going into this inner sanctum space that's hidden away from the students vision who is it who's there (laughs) i've been expecting you the american girl I knew you'd come. You want to kill me? You want to kill Elena Marcus? to kill me you wanted to kill me <laughs> what are you going to do now uh, no.
1: <laughs> if you compare it to the remake obviously I don't want to talk about the remake too much because we're going to obviously dedicate an yeah. entire episode save to it next yourself. week but yes I'll save myself I'll restrain myself but um, obviously the 1977 film does not focus on dance mm. as much as the later film but obviously it is still present Mm. and um, again I think the kind of themes as dancing as a kind of lack of inhibition and as a kind of sense of almost like an out of body experience is to some extent still there and I do think there's also um, it's definitely associated with femininity and kind of the all female apart from the pianist um, aspect of and um, I think the headmistress's son or Madame Blanc's son um, aspect of the academy in general like i like you know for example there's the scenes where um after the dance classes they're all like in the changing rooms like tying up their shoes Mm. and like like bitching about each other and like olga talking to susie etc i do think it seems like this kind of like almost like feminine communal activity Mm.
0: which then ties so well into the idea of a coven i suppose
1: yeah exactly
0: i i like what you say about the idea of it sort of having these kind of aspects of these sort of feminine aspects to it mm. because ballet and the choice of ballet for this film is quite interesting in the sense that yes
1: especially ballet
0: I suppose in terms of gender it's this hyper controlled version of femininity in the way that you're mm. taught to move and instructed to, to use your body and the shapes that you're told to make with your body and if gender is a kind of performance then dance is such a interesting metaphor for like epitomising ideas of gender roles And then, toward the end of the 19th century, the technique of classical ballet assumed a different, more stylized, impostation. All right? Let's warm up. What's wrong? Don't you feel well? No, it's nothing. I just feel a little weak. If it gets any worse, I'll just stop. And now, some exercises. Daniel, you may begin. There's a really, really good article by Charlotte Goff that talks about ballerina body horror. Mm -hmm. And she mentions that there's an alienation from the body that occurs when you use your body to fit into a kind of an ideal which is represented by ballet and the moves that you make in ballet and perhaps Suspiria is a kind of exploration of feminine anxiety of the body that they're trying to get rid of whilst they aspire or or move towards this more idealized body.
1: I was going to say, do you think then that you could connect that with the scene at the end when Susie is trying to fight Helena Marcos and kind of Pat's dead body, not Pat's dead body, Sarah's dead body literally gets reanimated brought back from then like mm. kind of used again as like basically as a tool
0: mm. sort of puppetry in a way yeah there's definitely a sense of control that comes through with the dance for example when miss tanner is providing the instruction for the lesson just after susie's been hit by that light and it's made her feel all dizzy and she's forced to take part in this class against her will mm-hmm. and there's this rhythmic counting coming from miss tanner and all the other dancers are able to sort of conform to that but susie's really struggling to to keep up with that tempo because she doesn't
1: quite fit in
0: and she's trying to but it's like her body's not really working with her and you can see the idea of ballet as being a, a form of control that the coven used to manipulate their students maybe
1: That's something that's interesting to think about, about whether Susie is conformist or transgressive, especially in the earlier part of the film. Obviously, in the end, mm. of course, she kind of ought well, to protect herself. The, the coven decide that she is a transgressive figure, mm. and that therefore she needs to go. And so obviously the only thing she can do in response to that is to try and bring them down. But I'm not sure whether at the start I would say she is being transgressive or whether she's just trying to conform. And failing to Mm. do so but i think actually that's the interesting part i think a lot of people especially people who are kind of very focused on power and wielding power over others they kind of conflate the two anyway like if you can't Mm. conform there's kind of this aggressive reaction that If you can't conform, then clearly you must not even be trying. In fact, must actually be actively being transgressive. Mm. And so I think that's what um, perhaps turns the coven's ire onto her at the beginning.
0: Yeah, because she arrives in this very classic kind of ingenue state Mm. where we see her also as the protagonist of a fairy tale, in effect. She's blissfully unaware of the sort of darker inner workings of the dance school. Of course, slowly things start to seem wrong people are missing, people are dying, and she has to sort of take it upon herself to work out what's going on as a means of survival, I suppose. And if counting the steps of the teachers is the way that she is able to then unlock the secrets of the Coven in the end, then that represents such a nice reversal of of how the witches are trying to keep the students in line with with rhythms and, and with counting.
1: So she kind of turns it back on them. Yeah,
0: and she, she completely reverses it and then she's the one counting their footsteps instead so of So as we were
1: saying before about kind of conformity and transgression, it's only through her attempts previously to conform that she actually kind of understands the techniques that she'll then be able to wield to ultimately go against it mm. and bring them down from the inside. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I think even though a lot of people seem to think that the dance aspect of the original Suspiria is quite supplementary or not really key to the ideas of the, of the film, but you can look at it in ways where it really enriches Susie's characterization as, as someone who goes from a, a student position to an empowered position. And of course, is able to defeat Helena and the entire coven in the end, and walk away grinning.
1: What do you think about the fact that in both films, Helena Markov, so kind of like the mother of the coven, is presented as this extremely old lady who essentially is only sustained by the rest of the coven essentially using the life force of younger women what do you think that has to do with um both age and also i suppose the dance and ballet aspect of the film because obviously the whole, as well as being a kind of a very feminine pursuit, it's also seems a very like youthful mm. pursuit.
0: And it, and it, it's a pursuit that destroys. Um, it maybe not destroys is the right word, but for example, like when you reach a certain age as a as a as a prima ballerina, mm. you end up. Inevitably declining and yielding to the next generation of, of younger, fitter, yeah. more um, of, of stronger dancers. So it's very, it's it's very ruthless. But
1: I mean the fact that not only have they now had to go into the role of teaching to the next generation, but obviously in their capacity as witches, especially sustaining kind of like the mother um, who is the oldest of the ball. They are actually kind of literally using these younger people to kind of sustain themselves and maintain their own lives, like parasite.
0: It does actually remind me of House a bit.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. And
0: and the idea of, I guess, the trope actually of older women using or consuming or absorbing the youth of 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 the next generation to feed their own life force.
1: Well, House is similar as well to Suspirit in a sense that it's literally a film where like one by one girls get picked off mm. and killed. So it's kind of like a serial killer slasher mm. type film. But with more of a magical, kind of surrealist, heightened elements.
0: It's definitely more moving into the kind of the realm of a fairy tale and, and the whole setting in, in the where is it? The German Black Forest?
1: Yeah. So Freiburg is this medieval town which um, is very touristy and very beautiful and it's kind of very well known for kind of looking literally like a town straight out of a fairy tale story
0: mm. and so I do
1: def- again think it is really interesting that Argento chose to set it there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very deliberate choice to kind of evoke those. Extremely
1: storybook mm,
0: Which makes it all the more disturbing especially when you consider the original intentions of, of Derry to create a dance academy for kids Yeah, it kind of feeds in quite grotesquely with this reversal of the high fairy tale
1: format I think it's interesting that for a film about ballet the choice of soundtrack is a drama that is kind of so removed Mm. and sounds so different and there's almost kind of like dirty hard undertone to the soundtrack I think and so I think that's really interesting that um, that's what was chosen to soundtrack the crimes of these still very like kind of feminine and elegant witches.
0: I guess the prog, prog rock, as far, at least compared to classical, is it's far more wild, much more yeah. disordered and chaotic, which I think is such an interesting counterpoint to the order of the coven. I suppose it's always slightly undermined by the fact that it's an order of people who wield black magic and their role in society would be a chaotic role or a or a destabilizing role and of course that's the role that they play in the sort of fairy tale format of the film itself
1: and um, the main theme gets played a lot to the point where, like, sometimes it gets played. It kind of gets played before anything horrific is actually happening, kind of as a just a little warning sign that someone's about to get murdered, probably.
0: I really like how it seems to kind of blur the lines between soundtrack and then sound effect. Yeah. It's it's almost as if the film is sort of trying to to meld the two together and you, you become not It's also really... very
1: evocative of, like, kind of witch trials and persecution. I think it kind mm. of, like yells of witch and so i think that creates an interesting dynamic of course because the witches in this film are real and they are the villains And so i think it's interesting that these kind of like moments of persecution of witches because obviously that's often they're not entirely um associated with women as well i think it's interesting motif
0: Absolutely. Have you heard um Waking the Witch by Kate Bush?
1: Yes. Yeah, with yeah, like then the bit where um after all of the wake up calls have gone and then it just mm. kind of goes all a bit manic and then um there's that like what are they what what does he shout the man where he of like guilty, guilty, guilty.
0: Yeah, and he's going like confess to me and uh it, it's a kind of restaging or a reimagining of of what a witch trial would have been. It's this kind of grungy male voice growling.
1: Honestly, now that you mention it, that is actually the perfect song for this film.
0: It fits in very well. It's got the same vibe. Um, What did you think about the significance of language in the film? Because for me, it took me a while to realise that they were dubbed and yeah. uh, it, the, 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 the soundtracks for the English had then been placed over in post.
1: Sarah, for example, was originally speaking in Italian. So was Miss Tanner. Dr. Mano speaking in German. And apparently that was just standard in Italian film. And so if I'd gone and watched it in Italy, for example, I would have heard um, Sarah's um, Stefania Casini's voice, for example, um, in the original. And Jessica Harbour would have been dubbed over in Italian. And everyone just spoke to each other on set in their native languages. I find that crazy.
0: Kind of sounds like chaos. It sounds amazing, but it must have just been such a bizarre experience working on set, hearing all of those languages all the time. That must have been amazing
1: obviously because in the plot of the film it's not just that um everyone these random actresses from all over europe have been brought together just because they were the best also their mm. characters in the film are also explicitly meant to be so obviously Susie is meant to be american sarah is meant to be italian um mm. there's russian characters there's like madame blanc for example i'm pretty sure it's meant to be french etc. Mm. So there is definitely this idea of the Dance Academy of being this kind of global meeting point.
0: Mm. Rather than visual aspects, which I suppose become more aligned with the coven's ability to manipulate or bewilder the people in the student body, hearing is, is the way out.
1: Well, actually, that's something this is giving me an idea now, in the sense that, yes, yeah, so the visual aspects of the film in general, kind of the very technical, heightened, surrealist, magical thing, they kind of represent the witch's power and they kind of draw us into this surrealist world whereas um, like we were saying before the soundtrack almost has kind of like a kind of like contention like persecution and like of warning and so in terms of audio it's as if kind of the visuals of the film are kind of drawing us into the witch's world and then the audio of the film is just kind of like is kind of coming from outside of the witches and kind of functions almost as like a warning and like a condemnation and all something else I think is interesting about that is the fact that the pianist who obviously they eventually murder because um, he's getting in their way is blind mm. and so he is not part of this kind of visual world that the witches are in control of which makes him more threatening to them
0: well it's that classic trope of um, someone lacking in one sense being far more attuned and far more knowledgeable than others it's that kind of idea of Tiresias and the blind prophet that kind of thing yeah he can't fool for the sort of visual tricks of the coven he's he's almost safe in that sense but then that makes him more of a target of course later on in the film when he ends up being bitten to death by his own dog
1: So the thing that allows Susie to kill Helena Marcus at the end is the lightning flash, which is obviously, um, obviously, lightning bolts of lightning are kind of famous for being very much a two sided phenomenon, both visual and oral. Mm. And so um, maybe it's a kind of moment of kind of bridging of these two worlds and a kind of breakthrough from the auditory world into the visual one
0: so she goes from being early on in the film we see her sort of getting temporarily blinded by the reflecting light that kind of glints off a mirror and it dazzles her temporarily doesn't it and that leads of course to her sort of sickness and her being bedridden she goes from that sort of sense of being overwhelmed visually to then being empowered through her hearing and then merging the two in the end i think that's really cool I suppose it's also worth mentioning that this film was designed to really capture a really wide spectrum of of surround sound at the time. Yeah, it used a cutting edge four-track or a quadraphonic mix that would you know have a left channel, a right channel, a center channel, and then a surround channel. But so few theaters actually possessed the technology to implement the mix at the time of the film's production that Argento had to condense it into a way less um advanced soundtrack but one that could nonetheless work with the film in the with the technology that was prevalent at the time in theaters so i I think it's interesting that the film gets lauded so much for its visuals but on the other hand it was really working at the cutting edge of sound
1: and i think that's just something i appreciate in general about argento's artistry in the, at least in this phase of his career I haven't seen any of his more recent films so well, this is the interesting thing as well because *Hysteria* is obviously part of a trilogy so there's Inferno after this because so there's the three mothers and then I think the last one is called Mother of Tears and Inferno is a good film, I've seen Inferno but I haven't seen Mother of Tears and that didn't get great reviews but Inferno is very, unfortunately Inferno is kind of very similar to... Suspiria. Obviously, the tentacle isn't there anymore, so it's not quite as oversaturated and bright. And again, the soundtrack isn't quite as iconic, but it's still like you can definitely still see the continuation of what Argento had started in Suspiria, both in terms of the audio and the visuals. And so I think that's something I've always appreciated about Argento, and that he's not just trying to use film as a vehicle for a plot, he really wants it to be kind of almost like a feast for all of the centers. Is. The actual plot is really nothing that yeah. groundbreaking. Um serial killer stabs loads of people and we finally figure out who it is and then we get them. Sign so, well what is the thing with Jallo as well as a genre? So Jallo is not really does not really mean horror film in Italian. Jallo's are mysteries. Oh. And it's called Jallo, which means yellow, named after the kind of like yellow spines that um, mystery books oh, right. um, have. When they're published in Italian, so yeah, pretty much all publishers give all their mystery books yellow spines, and then romance books, for example, will be given pink spines, etc., etc. And then in the English speaking world, the Jallo film is kind of crossed over to mean, obviously, I think Argento is probably the most famous example of a jello director so I mean not just mystery films but specifically kind of like horror mysteries where there's a lot of horror but usually serial killer films where the mystery is what is the malevolent force doing this so say for example I don't know there's also like Blood and Black Lace is a good example is
0: that an, that's another Argento film or is no, that that's just
1: that's not Argento no that's from a few years before Suspiria it's very similar but Suspiria's way better I'm not trying to imply that Argento's copied at all he's not <laughs>
0: Okay, so that just about wraps up our discussion about Suspiria, although it doesn't because we continue with Suspiria next week when we look at the 2018 version. And then following that, we'll also be looking at Climax, which is Gaspar Noé's dance horror film. So join us next week. Don't forget to subscribe and see you then.